Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again to join together in worship of our triune God. A hearty welcome to all who are present here and also to those who have joined us via the live stream. May we all be strengthened and edified and may God be glorified by our worship. The consistory has the following announcements, the same as this morning. Brother Max Hitting has arrived with an attestation from the Free Reformed Church of Rockingham. And we welcome this brother into our congregation. An attestation has been requested by Sister Natasha Lewis to the Free Reformed Church of Darling Downs. And we wish her the Lord's blessing in her new congregation. An attestation has been requested by Reverend and Mrs. Poppy with their two baptised children, Timothy and Matthew, to the Free Reformed Church of Carter Brook. An attestation has also been requested by brothers Ben and David Poppy to the Free Reformed Church of Carter Brook. And we wish the Poppy family the Lord's blessings in the new congregation next month. This afternoon, the worship service will be led by brother Jaden Boer. Before we begin, let us sing together hymn nine, verse one. in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise to our Lord the King with Psalm 145 verse 1.
We now make profession of our Catholic undoubted Christian faith, the words of the Apostles' Creed. Everyone say in his heart, I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, who was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe a holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's again sing about the Lord our King with Psalm 93, verses 1 and 4. again today, to gather us here in peace and freedom in this place, to call on your name, to listen to your word, your statutes which are dependable and just, to know that here as befits your house there should be holiness. We are surrounded with your holiness. We pray, Lord, that through your Son you see holiness in us too. We thank you for this opportunity to sing praises to your name, to call on you together, to give our gifts, to submit ourselves to your word, help us to listen to the word you speak to us, also about your kingdom, about the opening and the closing of your kingdom. Help us to listen and to be built up, to be encouraged, if needs be, to be admonished, because your word does not return without effect. And so we pray, Lord, that your word may have powerful effect again this afternoon. Be those people who are not here with us. Be with those who are unable to come 
that they may be comforted, grant healing to those who are unwell. We pray that you work repentance in the hearts of those who willingly stay away, that they may see and know you are an awesome God and what a rich privilege it is to meet in your presence. Be so near to each and every one of us this afternoon. Be here in our hearts with your spirit. We pray to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Sermon this afternoon is by Reverend R. Breedenhoff, who was at the time the minister in Mount Sheriff. The theme of the sermon is to do with the keys of the kingdom. And our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew. First we turn to chapter 16 and read the verses 13 to 28. And then we will turn over to Matthew 18 to read verses 10 to 20. So first of all we turn to Matthew 16. Begin at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until, the sea, until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Turn over to chapter 18, Matthew 18, and begin reading from verse 10. We read through to verse 20. Jesus is again speaking to his disciples. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father 
who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Sing from Psalm 19, the verses 5 and 6, about the power and splendour of God's word and his commands. about the keys of the kingdom as we read from Matthew. Let's also read what the church has confessed in Lord's Day 31, the Heidelberg Catechism. Find that beginning on page 546 of your book of praise. What are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? The preaching of the Holy Gospel and church discipline. 
By these two, the kingdom of heaven is open to believers and closed to unbelievers. How is the kingdom of heaven open and closed by the preaching of the gospel? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened when it is proclaimed and publicly testified to each and every believer that God has really forgiven all their sins for the sake of Christ's merits as often as they by true faith accept the promise of the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is closed when it is proclaimed and testified to all unbelievers and hypocrites that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them as long as they do not repent. According to this testimony of the gospel, God will judge both in this life and in the life to come. How is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by church discipline? According to the command of Christ, people who call themselves Christians but show themselves to be unchristian in doctrinal life are first repeatedly admonished in a brotherly manner. If they do not give up their errors or wickedness, they are reported to the church, that is, to the elders. If they do not heed also their admonitions, they are forbidden the use of the sacraments, and they are excluded by the elders from the Christian congregation and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. They are again received as members of Christ and of the church when they promise and show real amendment. Brothers and sisters, when we began the worship service this morning, the Lord greeted us with words from Revelation 1. Grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come, from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Maybe we didn't pay much attention to it. But listen again to the last few words. Grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Christ is the one enthroned in heaven, the great king. And Christ, our king, welcomes us with grace and peace. Despite our filth and our shame, Jesus smiles down from his throne with the favour that he has earned for us by his death and resurrection. Christ is our king. It means we're citizens of his commonwealth and subjects of his dominion. We belong to his kingdom. And the scripture says that only those who truly share in the kingdom, are entitled to its blessings, the gifts of life and peace. So how do we get into the kingdom of Christ? It says a couple of chapters later in Revelation about Jesus. He holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Revelation 3 verse 7. It is Christ who decides whether the door will be opened or closed, whether a person receives grace and peace. He holds the keys. He's also given those keys to the church. So this is our theme this afternoon. Jesus the King entrusts us with the two keys of his kingdom. We'll see first the preaching of the Holy Gospel, secondly, church discipline. When the catechism students first learn what true worship is all about in the second commandment, they already know that the preaching of God's word is of first importance. They know it's important 
by the amount of time we spend on it each Sunday. They also know that preaching is important by thinking about how our church building is set up. For instance, we don't have an altar at the front of the church for the ongoing presentation of Jesus' sacrifice, like you'll see in a Roman Catholic church. We also don't have a large screen for film clips. There's no elaborate setup for all kinds of musical performances. But at the front and in the centre of every formed church is the pulpit. Because the preaching is of first importance. The catechism students learn this just as everyone else has learned this. That the faithful preaching of God's word is one of the marks of the true church. If there's no true preaching, then that church has strayed very far from what her king requires. We know preaching is important. But is old-fashioned preaching still effective in our internet age, a time of TikTok, TED Talks and podcasts? How don't we know that this key we're using isn't rusty and bent and just too old? The Belgic Confession talks about the pure preaching of the gospel in Article 29, but what makes the preaching pure? There is no simple definition of preaching in the Bible, but it does say a lot about what it means to proclaim the word of God. For example, it says that God's servants are compelled to pass on his word. In other words, preaching has to happen no matter what cultural pressure is against it, no matter what enemy opposes it. Like Amos says, the sovereign Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? In Amos 3 verse 8. God also tells his people to test what a preacher says by what God has revealed in his word. Have you heard of the Bereans? These were people to whom Paul and Silas preached in their missionary journey. The believers in Berea were commended for this one thing, that they cherished and also tested the preaching that was brought by the apostles. Says Acts 17, they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Acts 17 verse 11. They compared whatever they heard from these human messengers with God's written word. And don't miss the blessed result of their diligence in the word. Therefore, many of them believed. Verse 12. So, be a Berean. It does not mean that the preached word is not brought in weakness. It certainly is. Human shortcomings also get in the way. A sermon can be badly put together, or it can be badly delivered, or sometimes both. But God has chosen for preaching to be so precious for the strengthening of his people. Romans 10 verse 17. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Another aspect of true preaching is that those who preach God's word are not allowed to pick and choose the message that they would like to bring. Listen to what Paul told the Ephesians. I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Acts 20 verse 27. A preacher may not preach on only what he finds interesting or what the congregation wants to hear. True preaching must be in full agreement with God's word and it must address all that God has revealed. And what is the focus of true preaching? This is critical. 
Lord Jesus tells us that the preaching must be about him. He once asked his disciples, we read that, what, how people perceived him. Who is he? Is Jesus a teacher who says some wise things? Is he our friend when we're feeling down? Is Jesus someone all-powerful who reigns in heaven yet who is far away from our earthly concerns? Peter confesses, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, in Matthew 16, verse 16. And it's so good to read what happens after this confession of Peter. The simple confession is a turning point in Jesus' ministry. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and to be killed and raised on the third day. Peter did not understand what all that meant, but Jesus' words are clear. Through his suffering, being killed, and being raised to life, through this gospel, this good news, God opens the way for sinners into the kingdom of God. Jesus commands that it be preached, though all the forces of hell oppose it. This is, in fact, what Peter did later in Acts, what Paul did, and what every faithful preacher does across the globe. We preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. So minister today must maintain this as first and foremost on his list of duties. It's the high calling and incredible privilege of Christian ministry to preach about that one person who can make a true difference. When a preacher is focused on the atoning work of Jesus, he doesn't have to worry about being clever in his content, politically correct or entertaining. I preach Christ and him crucified. A faithful preacher in a faithful church will always centre his preaching on Christ. That's because, in a sense, all scripture speaks about him. John 5 is 39. In Christ, all the lines of world history converge. Galatians 4 verse 4. In Christ, everything in the universe holds together. Colossians 1 verse 17. So every time that the preacher comes to the pulpit and opens the word, every eye should be fixed on Christ and on him alone. Hebrews 12 verse 2. Whatever the particular circumstances of God's people in that moment, a preacher is called to bring the word of Christ. Whatever our worries, whatever our joys, whatever our temptations and longings, the word of salvation can be spoken into our life with powerful effect. It's a key that opens the kingdom. In Christ, there is relief for people crushed by their guilt. There is joy for those troubled by anxiety. There is courage for those trapped in their addictions. There is help for the ones burdened in wrecked relationships. There is comfort for those who are grieving. There is hope because for Christ's sake, God has promised to help us to forgive us and to restore us. So the preaching is joyful and it is serious. The preaching is about eternal matters, things that really matter. It's about Jesus, the King who was dead but who came to life that many might be saved. The preaching of the Holy Gospel does nothing less than open to you and to me the kingdom. The Catechism explains that through the preaching, God announces to each and every believer that he has really forgiven all their sins for the sake of Christ. That's what entering the kingdom is all about. Christ God forgiving our sins in Christ. 
But the preaching also comes with a warning for those who don't answer it in true faith. It warns those who are strangers to Christ and his fellowship that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. For not all who sit under the preaching believe the message of the preaching. Not all who come to church will enter the kingdom. This is how the the catechism puts it. That the kingdom is closed when it is proclaimed to all unbelievers and hypocrites that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them as long as they do not repent. Jesus is a loving saviour. He is full of mercy. And yet, he will not let those in who have not believed in his name. Jesus says in Matthew 16, the person might gain the whole world, yet lose his soul. Lost, because he isn't willing to come after Christ, deny himself, to take up his cross and follow him. gospel of Christ always comes with this warning. To all who hear, there's a warning given in love. Do not be found unprepared when our King returns. It's a warning so that we don't come to that last day and see the kingdom door being closed in our face. The preaching asks us, Have you accepted the promise of the gospel? Have you received the Saviour in faith? Have you been living for Christ? Jesus the King entrusts us with the two keys of his kingdom. We see in the second place, church discipline. People like to say that the church is not for perfect Christians, it is for sick sinners. And that is true in a sense, but it doesn't say everything. The church is definitely a place where sinners can find shelter in Christ. Yet those who come, must also live differently. Jesus the King seeks faith and obedience from those who want to live under his rule. It's for this reason that Jesus has given a second key to his people. It is the key of church discipline. With this key, the kingdom of Christ can also be closed to those who don't live according to his will. Catechism speaks about those who call themselves Christians but show themselves to be unchristian in doctrine or in life. What does that mean, to be unchristian? How do we know what that looks like? Being a Christian is not just receiving the mark of baptism, being a Christian is not just having a membership in the right church. Christian isn't defined as someone who has the scripture app on his phone or a Bible on his shelf or a cross around her neck. Nor is it those who give the right answer at a home visit. According to the catechism, according to the word of God, a Christian is someone who confesses the name of Christ. Someone who presents himself to God as a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Someone who is daily involved in fighting against the sin and the devil. A Christian is marked by believing and by doing. So while some people may call themselves Christians, says the Catechism, they show themselves to be unchristian, doctrinal life. While there are such people, Jesus wants something to be done for them. 
We don't just put them out of the church as quickly as we can, but we seek to discipline them. See how the word disciple is at the root of that word discipline. It's a simple clue to how with this activity we're trying to disciple believers. We're teaching them, we're teaching each other how better to follow the master. Disciplining, discipling, sorry, involves encouragement and prayer, correction and admonition, ongoing, day by day, for years. I know that sometimes it seems the, the key of church discipline is left hanging on a nail in the consistory room. What I mean is it's, it's just for the elders to use. And only when things have gotten really bad. The key of church discipline seems far too heavy for most of us to pick up and to use effectively and boldly. But Christ hasn't given this key only to the elders of his church. That's because right and faithful living in the kingdom must be the concern of us all. Fellow citizens of Christ... This key of church discipline is for daily use in the kingdom. For sin still has a presence in our lives. There are still failings that can hinder us in the service of God. There are still sins that can cause rifts with fellow Christians, and cause division. There are still sins that can spread and infect the body of Christ the key of church discipline is given so that all such sin can be handled in the right way. In Matthew 18, Jesus taught us about mutual discipline and church discipline and how we should leave our, lead our life in the kingdom. Notice that he's not saying these words only for the benefit of the church leaders. They are for every Christian. And the main approach for this kingdom living is quite simple. Brother, we should talk. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Matthew 18 verse 15. If you see your brother or your sister in the faith acting in a way that's not Christian, you must go and talk to him or her. It sounds like a bold step. Few of us like to be confrontational. We hesitate to point out that someone else is wrong. Perhaps you're not even totally sure of what your brother did. Maybe he did something that you feel is wrong or he might not agree that it is. Even so, says Christ, you must talk. Rather than gossip, rather than complain, rather than letting a grudge remain, let us talk. And notice how the Catechism first speaks about a sinner being admonished in a brotherly manner. We need to underline that phrase, in a brotherly manner. That puts all correction into the necessary atmosphere. It happens inside the bonds of love within a congregation. The approach is brotherly, sisterly. It is done lovingly. And as a general comment, this approach is such an essential way for us to preserve unity and harmony in our church to the glory of Christ. It happens when we can have open and loving conversations about what's come between us, when we can talk about what's different in our views or what is tense in our relationship. For instance, there are sometimes times you can't say for sure that what someone did is a sin. Like we said, there's just something that doesn't sit well with you. It bothers you, it disturbs you, or just plain annoys you. Maybe there's something they said or did that you don't understand. There's no question these things happen in the church. 
could do a few things with that kind of situation. Option A, could keep quiet about it, or stew over it until we're more upset, or we find ourselves ignoring the person after church. Option B, we could talk to someone else about it, to see if they agree with us. Do you find him irritating too? Well, far better, you could talk. You could talk to the person that it involves. Not in front of lots of people, not when you don't have lots of time, but between you and him alone. You have a brotherly or sisterly conversation where you explain your concern. And that might be the end of it. It often is. And it's beautiful. No angry letters have had to be sent. No gossip has been shared. No bitterness has allowed to be get rooted and grow its poison. It's done. The same approach can be taken when you see your brother or sister acting in a way that you know. You know that is not Christian because it goes against an explicit command of God. Then too, we need to talk. For instance, we know that our friend gets angry too easily. Or you have a sister who loves to criticise and cut other people down. There's someone you know who's not very faithful in coming to church. Let's talk about this, you say. You do it because you love them. And because you understand that sin has an effect. Sin has a power. You understand that little sins can grow into big sins. Occasional sins can become captivating sins. When we listen to the lies of sin long enough, we can be utterly deceived. So we need to talk about it. This is how it should be. True Christian friends, brothers and sisters, may not sit back when someone wanders from the truth. We can do this at any age. We can do this when we're in high school. We can do it as young adults. We can do it with people who are our lifelong friends. And even if the time comes that the consistory is involved in church discipline, the key is not resting in their hands alone. The entire church must be involved in prayers and support, even if we don't know the name, even if we don't know the whole situation, we pray. And if we are given the opportunity, we must encourage and support. We don't want to lose any member of the body. Christ's words about discipline are hard, and we must wrestle with them. Those who still do not repent, those who refuse all admonition, do not belong to him. They have no part in the security, in the peace, in the blessings of his kingdom. This is how Proverbs describes it. Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Proverbs 29 verse 1. Genuinely listening to each other, humbly accepting their rebukes we are given, is important. To ignore these admonitions can lead to a sinner's death. We've seen that the key of preaching can save. Can discipline save? Think of Jesus' words in Matthew 18. Just before speaking of an unrepentant person being excluded from the church, Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep. If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? Reflect for a moment how that parable 
connects to the teaching about church discipline, which is given in the very next verses. It means that God wants no sheep to be lost. God wants no sinner to perish, but all to come to a knowledge of the truth. And if that's what God does, his people should do the same. We should be those who seek the lost, who forgive the wrong, who try to heal the broken. We pray for a better day for those who are being disciplined, a better day for those who have been cut off or those who have cut themselves off by withdrawing. We want the kingdom of Christ to be open to them again. We want to rejoice with God and his angels, rejoicing with the sheep who was lost and has been found. So do not doubt that the straying can return. Don't doubt that church discipline is a key that turns the other way too. It can open the door and allow back those who've wandered. Discipline can lead to growth and progress and life. Remember that the key belongs to Christ. It is in his hands, the one with all authority and power. It is in Christ's power to open and to close, to save and to condemn. So when we give correction, as it's given from the pulpit, as it's shared among friends and family and fellow members, as it's given by the elders, let's combine this with much prayer to the Lord. We pray that the king's key would unlock the door to the kingdom. We pray that he would open it wide so that we may all live forever in his grace and peace. Amen. Sing now from hymn 51 about the faithfulness of God and the forgiveness of Christ. Hymn 51, all, verse, all three verses. grandson of Henry and Liz Spannerman, six month old, who has surgery this week to drain excess fluid from his brain. We we'll ask the Lord to bless that. 
Let's pray. The merciful Lord, we thank and praise you. We thank you that you reveal your Son, the Christ, the Son of God. Help us to confess his name too. And to every day be busy in that fight against sin, against Satan. That we are truly living a Christian life. That we know that we belong to you and to your kingdom. And we ask that your spirit works that in us. We thank you, Lord, that we know you are a faithful God. That you do not desire the death of a sinner. But that we all repent and live. We pray, Lord, that you give us courage to speak to one another, to talk, to have the conversations, to build those relationships so we can speak to each other in love, that we can correct each other, we can hold each other accountable. Help us, Lord, when people speak to us to be receptive, not to resist, to argue, to defend, to deflect. Help us to be humble. We thank you, Lord, that you gather us together to hear that faithful preaching, that true preaching which points us to your Son, Jesus the Christ, who has done it all for us, who has lived the life of perfect holiness and righteousness. And further, he's also paid the price for our sin. He suffered the punishment of your anger of us and we thank you because it gives us freedom it gives us salvation it gives us the opportunity to restore a relationship with you to know you as our Lord and our Father help us to be filled with that joy and that our lives are indeed a sacrifice of thanksgiving in everything every day every moment we live for you Lord, this afternoon we bring to you young Jordan Spanerman, only six months old, Lord, he needs surgery again. Sounds serious, but we know that he's also in your hand. He's also your child. You are the one who guides the hands of surgeons, of other medical staff. You are the great physician, the great healer. And we pray that you will also be with Jeremy and Jacqueline, the parents, be with Henry and Liz and other relatives too affected by this, that they can bring their worry and their concern to you and trust in your love and your care to know that you are a faithful God also in those things. We pray for your blessing as we continue our week, as we begin our work week tomorrow, with the students who still have exams, bless them. <coughs> them clarity of mind. Be with the year six students who go on camp this week. It'll be a good time of fellowship together. Protect them from harm. Help them to rejoice there too in your goodness and in the community that you provide for them. Bless us all as we take up our daily calling that we do so thankful for the preaching of the gospel thankful for the opportunity to live lives that are pleasing to you. Keep sin and evil away from us. Help us to continue that fight by the power of your spirit in our hearts. Hear us in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. This afternoon your offerings are being requested for support of the mission work in Papua New Guinea. Then in closing, let's sing our praises to the Son, the Saviour, God incarnate, with the words of hymn 37.
Lift up your hearts unto God. Receive the blessing of God and go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.